Well, the number one thing is, what do you feel about money and why? I, I'm going to share with you an exercise I did with a client. She asked me, she said, um, I want more money. I want more money in my bank account. I know I have a blockage. I know I'm the problem. Uh, help me. I said, okay, let's do an exercise. I said, do you rationally, and your, your audience can do this as well, can, do you rationally welcome $1 million right now in your bank account? You're listening to The Human Up Podcast with Anbu Liu, financial emotional intelligence coach. And this episode is about walking inside ourselves with emotional intelligence. I got connected to Anne through one of my previous guests on this podcast based on the fact that we both ha- care a lot about emotional intelligence. We've both learned so much from learning to connect with our hearts and our intuition and to get out of our heads um, and from overthinking, from overanalyzing, from uh valuing too much of the external world and not looking enough at our internal worlds. So I'm super excited to bring on Anne, who is an emotional intelligence coach certified by the Coach Training Academy and the International Coaching Federation. Uh, She is registered with the Certified Coaches Alliance and is a international keynote speaker who's spoken at many events that I can't list here. Um, but she's also a financial economist with the Treasury and Department Province of New Brunswick and uh, a chartered financial analyst. And so combining her coaching experience with her financial background, she now helps people, uh, businesses and individuals better understand their relationship with money and how to have more emotionally intelligent sales conversations. We get into a lot of her story and her business in this episode, but before we get into it, I'd like to share a quick message from my sponsors who make this podcast possible. First off, thank you for being a listener of the Human Up podcast. I definitely have so much to say and express and all the things that I've experienced and observed throughout my life that I've honestly been cultured and, and kind of pressured to, to bite my tongue against. So I really love being able to use this platform and this medium as a podcast to do so. And it wouldn't be possible without Anchor.fm, which is the hosting platform I use to distribute this podcast. It's perfect for me right now because it's free and automatically distributes my episodes to all the different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the cool part is that there are tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you don't even need any extra software or services to to create the podcast. And you can even make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership by recording ads like this. So if you have a message to send and ideas to spread, definitely download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And who knows, maybe we can collab and create a a podcast episode together. If you do end up creating one, you should definitely hit me up and, and we can do something there. With that, let's get back to the episode. Hey, Anne, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to have you here. Well, I'm very happy to be here. It's a pleasure to see you again, Victor. Yeah, yeah, you too. Um, I think we, we had a really cool conversation before and got connected 
through uh, Joanne, Joan Victoria, mm-hmm. in uh, the I, which I had on my podcast recently. <laughs> um, so really cool that there's people in this space and working on emotional intelligence and being able to help people become better leaders and develop deeper relationships. So I'm um, excited to see what comes out of this conversation. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Before we get into your story and stuff, I actually want to get a baseline on what emotional intelligence means to you. Well, emotional intelligence, as you know, it's a big subject that (laughs) will take hours to get into. But in this context, Something that everybody can understand is emotional intelligence. It's truly understanding the difference between our wants and our needs. Mm. That's it. I like that. Nice and simple. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess, yeah, now maybe share a little bit of your story and and how you got to where you are today and, and why you decided to kind of work in emotional intelligence. Well, in a nutshell, when I was around eight years old, see, you can define your childhood. If, you, if I were to ask you what is one qualifier that you could attribute to your childhood, someone might say happy, someone might say challenging, someone might say whatever they might say. For me, that qualifier is terrifying. Mm. I was terrified as a child growing up. So I went inside my head very young, very, very young. And by the age of eight, I made a drastic decision that I would intellectually be so freaking smart that I would overpower anybody around me. So no one would ever hurt me again. That's pretty scary for a child to make that but many parents would say, this is great. She was academic. Yay. <laughs> right. Yeah. I took it to such a level. I have about 18 degrees and certifications. I had the kind of, ma- of brain that could learn. And it sounds great, but what was my intent? My intent, as I said, it was to protect myself against the world. So I became smart out of survival. That's terrifying. There was nothing about serving or being of service to other. It was, quote unquote, the world's a bad place and it's me against the world and all that crap. So I led my life like that. Got married, the white picket fans. In the eyes of everybody, we had it all. But I was severely depressed, obviously with a mentality like that and not knowing why I needed to wake up, but to wake up, we need somebody because to wake up on our own, it's either the pain becomes super great that we have no choice and we hit rock bottom and then we make a change or we meet somebody who facilitates this rock bottom for us and we wake up. So I met such a person, I call him Morpheus. <laughs> if you've ever seen The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's what I realized what I was. Not, uh, the, the rose-colored glasses were off and 
it was like the way I describe it to people is like imagine you're alone in this metal box. There's no windows, there's no doors, there's zero contact with the exterior, nothing. You're naked in that corner, in that metal box. Where does your mind go? Mm-hmm. And me, my mind went externally. What about others? Oh my God, I'm all alone. I'm so lonely. This is terrifying. It was all that stuff. Instead of hugging myself and loving myself, I had me. And that was a huge shift for me. That's when I realized that I was like, I was intellectually smart, but when it came to emotional intelligence, I was an idiot to, I'm going to become emotionally intelligent, whatever it takes. And that's what led me on the path. Wow. Wow. What was, what was that sort of waking moment like for you then, you know, when, when you met that Morpheus and then it's like, (laughs) what kind of maybe resistance or what kind of, what was that journey like? Yeah. Oh, I was resisting. I was right. I was always right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find it funny. Uh, I decided I wanted to become a speaker, an authentic speaker, which is just funny. Now I wanted, because I thought I was real. I thought, oh, I'm going to tell others what to do. This is going to be so great. You can already see the kind of woman I was. So. First day of the speaker program, he accepted me. It was Dove, Dove Barron's uh, Authentic Speaker Academy for Leadership. So first day of the speaking program, I go in front of the class. I think I look so smart. I think I got it nailed. And he asked me to share one event from my childhood that uh, for me was had terrible shame attached to it. And I thought about it for a moment. I went inside my head and I became agonizing. Was I going to talk about the time my father smashed my kitten's head in front of me onto a rock just to break my spirit? Or am I going to talk about the time he tried to break a chair onto me when I was seven years old? Like it was terrifying. So I picked one. I picked the chair event, incident, but I chose it the way you would go in a menu and get, am I going to have the chicken or the beef? Yeah, I'll have the chicken. I think it's going to be not as bad if I talk about that. So I shared it. No feeling. I couldn't feel for the child inside of me because I had ejected so long ago. And I looked at the people in the room and they looked at me. They looked horrified. And I thought, oh, I'm no good. This is terrible. Why did I, I should have, I should have talked about the beef. The beef would have been better. (laughs) That's where I went in my head. It was all head decision. And then Dove walked up to me and I saw in his eyes, his eyes were so blue. And I saw there was a pain in his eye. He knew what he was about to do. He was about to smash that armor, that intellectual armor. He was about to, for, the, for the sun to come in. And I saw compassion in his eyes, but I did not know what it was at the time. And he came at me and it took him, if you have ever seen movies where you deprogram, it's 
somebody like who's been in the cult. My cult was violence. And he came at me for like two and a half days solid. Time after time and making cracks here, making cracks there and questioning my parenting and my past marriage. And I just kept spinning faster and faster. I didn't have the answers anymore. I became so confused. And in that place, there was that moment where I went, I did not know what was going on. But at that moment, I made a decision. I made a choice, probably the first choice in my life. I let go. For a split second, I let go. And I saw. It was like stepping out and really seeing what I was. I completely collapsed. I had no compassion for myself. I saw what I was. I saw what I had done to myself, to the people around me, how small I had played. And I sank. All my rage came out. Everything that I hadn't felt, that I suppressed, that I intellectually had justified, I had to feel it. I had to re-feel everything in my childhood. And I did. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah, no, I am... I really resonate a lot with that. I think, you know, for a lot of us, we do get stuck in our heads and, and that's what we've been taught. That's what we've been trained to do is to think through everything or to kind of rationalize or, or you know, find logic and everything. And um, to connect back into your body, into your heart, into how you're feeling, that's where that that's the hard part right and i can i can already even feel the resistance in in me to even do that consistently um but uh was there so was there for you kind of having you know having this very more intellectual mind wanting to you know find logic and everything um you know was was that hard to be comfortable with you know, being vulnerable to that point, you know, the being vulnerable to emotions and to, you know, um, the fact that you were lost and confused and what was that? What was that like? For me, it was realizing that love for me was a concept. And see the tears come up. It mm. was like, I did not know what love was, what it felt like. I did not know how to love, how to be loved. I was that kid looking in, wanting what other people had. Why did they have it and I couldn't? I had to feel. But what I was feeling was pain because pain was what I had been taught. So I was afraid of my own shadow. I was afraid of my own pain, but yet I wanted deep, meaningful relationship with others. I was full of shit. In order to have, we need to be. So I needed to get real with myself. See, vulnerability, it's intimacy. And people view intimacy as sexual intimacy. I'll be intimate with you. I'll be physically naked. 
Nothing to do with that. Intimacy is into me see. Am I willing to be naked with my feelings, feeling into me? I had children. I have children. What did I teach them? In that place, in that hole, I sank so deep. And, and, and I realized that my, when we're intellectually driven, a lot of the time is we're full of rage, but we're in denial. We're nice people. Nice people are full of rage because nice people suppress the self, suppress feelings in order to please others. They keep quiet so that they don't want to rock the boat. But all those feelings that are non-processed, where do they go? They don't leave. They get stored into the physical body until they're processed. This is how people one day snap. We call them, they snap and they do stupid stuff. We see it all over the news. Right. So for me, it was like, I wanted to know what love is. I wanted to experience it and it became my drive. You know this, you're an EQ coach. We are the common denominator with every experience that we have. There are no victims. We have a choice every moment to feel or not to feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do that a lot. So I, I'm part of a, a men's group. Uh, I've been meeting for uh, every week over for the year now. And, and that is a lot of what we practice is um, not, is, is, is feeling. You know, and I think as, as a man and as an Asian American as well, like that could, I think we were kind of subconsciously maybe taught that, you know, these emotions that we can't feel these emotions, that they're a sign of weakness, that, that we have to, um, you know, show the more perfect side of us, the, the sort of more responsible, more strong side of us. And I do agree to that to a point, you know, you can't be an emotional wreck all the time, but, um, but I think there, even in my men's group, uh, the, one of my last meetings was showing love for each other. Um, and so that just, that's, that, that's what brings up. I mean, I mean, what you say brings that up again for me is, you know, how difficult that is to, both give and receive love sometimes. Um, even just saying the word love can sound cheesy or, or you know. Um, but, uh, but you're right in, in being able to feel that is, is a really important emotion or, or important kind of um, just thing to experience, right? So that... Um, it's not just something that is suppressed that uh, will make us snap uh, or, or kind of, I'm kind of losing my words here, but you know, like being like suppressing it for so long uh, can make it a lot easier to just snap and, and go crazy <laughs> after the fact. Um, it is. It yeah. Is. 
it's uh, I, I can relate to what you just shared because um, I married a Chinese. So my three children are half Chinese. So they had a French mother and a yeah. Chinese father. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like my kids said, this is, we had to debate everything in this house in three languages. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, but there was this part where they had to be logical and this part where they need to feel, where mm -hmm. they needed to feel. And for me, one of the things about, you talked about showing love to each other. I remember when my mentor asked me, how do you know for certain that your daughter, your son, or you can put any name you want, your significant other, your friend, your parent, mother, father, anyone, anybody. How do they know for certain that you love them? And that brought me to my knees. Because for certain, that means there's zero doubt in the other person's mind which means they feel us 100% in that moment. I used to say, I love you the way you say, well, I'll pick up the dry cleaner, you know, mm -hmm. love you. See you later. Love you. Yeah. That very casual. Right. But now when I say, I love you to my children, I stop. I let it rise and the goosebumps comes right away. My voice drops. My whole demeanor changes. And I say to them, I love you. And they feel it. So it takes, it's the stopping. First, we must stop to short circuit the mind and say, breathe, stop, feel into it, let the bubble rise and express it. That's what we're here to do, expressing feelings. Mm -hmm. Every decision we make is based feelingly before we justify it rationally. Why would we be afraid to feel? We're confused when we refuse to feel. Yeah. When we feel, we know we might not like what we might not like what we feel, but we know our feelings are our truth in that moment. Yeah, I think the the first instinct would be to you know, to, to think it through again, as I said, and I don't want to be like a broken record here, but, uh, you know, without having to feel in the first place that will get in the way of the logical decisions that we make. Right. If we're, yeah, uh, people don't, I spend a lot of time with this to explain the feedback loop. Mm. They will say, because see the way we make decisions is first we have a thought if we keep thinking that thought, an emotion will arise associated with that thought. So then if we keep thinking that thought and that emotion, then a feeling will arise. And that feeling always validates itself by referencing the beliefs and memories that we have associated with that feeling. It doesn't, and people think, no, no, I can justify it. No, we justify at the feeling level. So we must feel. Clarity comes with feeling. That's our best weapon. That's our best gift. That's our best, that's, our, that's, that's it. 
That's why EQ is so important. We must feel. EQ is about feeling the difference between our wants and our needs. Our wants are in our head. Mm-hmm. It's the rationalization. I should want this. Nothing's never been happy. No one's ever been happy saying I should want this. But feeling, it's into our needs. Our needs are feeling. They're feeling based. So that's why like, I will keep drumming it into people. Yeah. About feeling, feel it, it's okay. I, no, and I like that. I think you know, that's where we, we forget about our needs and how to satisfy that. You know, and we will chase all the different things that we want, but um, it doesn't necessarily provide us or satisfy us in the way that is deep to our core, right? So I think that might be a good transition into kind of the, you know, I think on your your website and a lot of what the content that you go through is is kind of a an exploration of the definition of success as well. And I think, so what I, you know, I'm, I'm learning to balance within myself as well. And, and I think I have a lot of, um, uh, gratitude for having the different perspectives of both an Asian, you know, uh, sort of more Eastern thought as well as an American more Western thought between like individualism and collectivism. So it's a pretty interesting balance there, but, um, within that is, is the definition of success. Like how, I mean, I think we touched on it a little bit in your story too, in, in what you thought was success, but how has that definition shifted for you? In the past success was how much money I had in the bank, how many diplomas I had, who I was married to, who were, I was so shallow, super shallow. But I was what society had taught me that success was. was Having those straight A's and all that crap. I had all these diplomas. If I had felt into them, would I have done that many? No. (laughs) No. No. I would have stopped. And I would have felt proud. Not because somebody thought they were proud of me. I would have felt it for myself. So for me right now, success is very simple. It's feeling. Because without feeling, we have nothing real. Yeah. And and so I guess the you know, the other side of me wants it still very much believes in obviously there, you know, there are certain levels of success that will um you know that that's how we are going to live, you know, we can't kind of just be sitting around feeling all the time. We do have to achieve certain levels of success to, to be a functional member of society. Um, How, how have that, how have you kind of found that balance uh, within, within your life and and what you're currently working on? You say, uh, for me, it's feeling 100% of the time. Is it possible? Probably not. Sometimes I go into my head. But here's the difference. In the past, in the last two years, I've written 30 books. It sounds crazy. Wow. How did I do that? <laughs> and, and that was the girl who said, I don't know how to write. I'm no writer. 
and are now write for Forbes and many other places. In the past, when I would sit down and say, I'm going to write an article, I would, or a book, I would intellectually, I'm going to write how it's going to work and this, and it was so painful. Sometimes it flowed, sometimes it didn't, but I went at it with my will. The mind goes at it with the will. And that's very limited because the mind is only limited to what it knows which is a grain of sand in the speck of eternity. But the feeling, it's boundless. So before I sit down and I write, I feel into it. I see the story written before it is written. I can't explain it. It's like, it's like a downloading. I feel into it and I can write 1,100 words a minute, uh, in an hour, which is insane for me. I know some people can do more, but for me, it was like, it's like, wow, it's the epitome of success. It's like, cause I feel into it. So you said you can't, we cannot feel all the time, but knowing that all our decisions are done emotionally first mm-hmm. before, because we reference the beliefs and memories, we validate ourselves. So by feeling into it, we get to make better and better decisions. So I first feel into it. Once I get the feeling, I take that action. So I'm confident about that action. And if I don't know, if I'm confused, if I'm in place of doubt, because it happened to me last week, I felt like I cannot read. I'm not downloading anything. What's going on? I went to see my mentor. I need to unblock. I have a blockage. I need that flow to flow again. And he did. And it was like my sky became full of stars again. And I was able to write and I was able, that's the difference. Before I would keep pounding with my will, wanting to get things done. Now I feel into them first and it makes me a lot more effective, a lot more happier, a lot more rested, a lot more grounded. I I really appreciate that as a reminder, even for myself too, right? I think, yeah, rather than trying to like power through it with this, this, I don't know, this brain power, it's to tap into another source of information that will help you accelerate your expression. And yeah, that's why I don't like motivation. I don't. Mm. Because Mm. motivation is the mind is what you just said. Mm-hmm. Give me another, it's like drop on the ground give me another 20 that's why most diets fail because people try to motivate themselves but if you emotionally connect somebody with a goal they move mountains once we know when we feelingly know we cannot unknow yeah then yeah. we move mountains and it's our job as eq coaches to connect that feeling with that goal So that they just, they take off like rockets and they get it done, but they, at least they laugh all the way, you know, instead of, instead of powering through with the mind, which is a recipe for misery. And I know because I did it in the past for decades, it doesn't work. I love that. I mean, I guess maybe that could be something to explore too. Like how, what have what was your experience now helping others through this? And, and, you know, is there, 
do you have a specific structure that you kind of take them through or, or what is, yeah, what's, what, what's the experience of maybe like one or two people that you, that you've helped? Oh, I'm, I'm laughing because <laughs> I had a coaching client this morning and, and after the call, we, uh, I needed to ask her a couple of questions and, and she had homework to do and, and it was a lot about the feeling homework and active listening. And, and she says to me, she said, you know, it's like we get on the call and you ask me, how are you? And, and within 30 seconds, I know it in my bones. I know it. Like it, it's not what I said. It is what I didn't say. And then you go in those places <laughs> that I didn't say. Yeah. And so for me, what I'm known for is that is I, I feel, I allow myself to feel so I can feel deeply. So no matter what the client is going through, I am a financial, emotional intelligence coach. So I assist people to feelingly welcome money in their life and multiply it. And because a lot of people don't want to talk about money and all and all that stuff. So my ability is no matter what is going on for the client, is they openly share with me in a way because they're like, what you overcame in your life. And if you've overcome it, I can overcome it too. So there's that permission. Then they share. And I can navigate those pathways because I'm not afraid of them. I have entered the cave of my demons. I do it every day. And one of the reasons that I do it, because I want to assist my clients, not from a head place, but from a heart place. Mm -hmm. Because the blockage is, is never intellectual. Mm -hmm. It's emotional. And an emotional problem requires an emotional solution. A feeling problem requires a feeling solution. But we were trained to solve feelings, solve feeling problems with the head. And that does not make us happy. Right. I, I'm curious on the, the financial, emotional intelligence side. So what type of, like, what, what is the sort of set of problems that people come to you with around money? Um, and then, and then how do you work through that? It's, um, well, the number one thing is, what do you feel about money and why? I, I'm going to share with you an exercise I did with a client. She asked me, she said, um, I want more money. I want more money in my bank account. I, I'm sick and tired of, of struggling and, and saving here, saving there. Like, I know I have a blockage. I know I'm the problem. Uh, help me. I said, okay, let's do an exercise. I said, do you rationally, and your, your audience can do this as well, can, do you rationally welcome $1 million right now in your bank account? Rationally, from the mind. So my client went, yeah, of course I do. It's a million bucks. Yes, yes, yes. It was all these tones and that big display of like, yes, I want it. I said, great. Now let's pretend you're walking in the desert. It's midday. There's nobody around you. You're all alone. It's only you. All of a sudden, you come onto a black duffel bag. You open it. There's $1 million cash 
an unmarked bill. What feeling comes up for you? My client got really sad and said, panic. Because remember the thought? I said thought, emotions, feelings, and memories. Thought. I welcome, that's the want. I want $1 million in my bank account. The emotion, I said it suddenly. So it, there was a shock. So the shock could go both ways, positive or negative. There was surprise, the element of surprise. She went into panic. The feeling was panic. And I said, what memory or belief did you reference to justify that panic? She said, old movies, mafia, the black duffel bags, it's mafia. So I said, therefore, for you to, to feelingly welcome $1 million in your bank account, you must you must reference positively $1 million or you'll never have it because you associate panic with it. Hmm. So I said to her, how do you feel when you pay the rent? Panic. Your car payment? Panic. I panic. When I look at money, I panic. And yet you want a million dollars. Your brain tells you you want a million dollars. Yeah. Do you see how it's not possible until you change your feeling towards money? And she got it because she felt into her truth. And the truth was not what her brain was telling her. The brain's constantly, it's a truth. It's constantly like lying to us in a way. It tells us what we want to hear. It's our ego mind. But our feelings, they show us the blind spot. So she saw her blind spot. Then she got angry and she was like, okay, damn it. What do I need to do to change this feeling? Then I come in with all the coaching and the exercise and we go reference positively and through the power of repetition, we get gradually to introduce a positive feeling with money. So that's a lot of the work that I do. I work with startups. I work with CEO of companies. I work and they, and, and money, most of us were either taught that it was constantly fighting our parents was constantly fighting about it. That was the case in my family. Or people said, my parents didn't talk about it. It was taboo. Mm -hmm. And nobody taught us about it. And they expect us as adults to know how to manage money. And most people, they don't. They're terrible with their money. They, the number one feeling associated with money is anxiety or worry. And if you think that having more money is better, no. I was married to the, the, the head of Hong Kong, China, and Taiwan for Swiss Bank. Like, we're talking big, <laughs> big finance, big money. And I hated money. I hated what it did to my family. We fought constantly about money because I did not know back then how, what I felt, how I felt about money. And he didn't either. So we were constantly clashing. Yeah. That's why, and that breaks up a lot of couples. And that was one of the main reasons why my divorce happened. So now I help a lot of people to stop and really get clear on that before it ruins their life. I mean, I, I love that intersection there because I think money is definitely one of those things where it, it's 
you know, a traditionally very, it's a little more tangible in a way, right? And, and it's hard to move or shift into how you feel about it and try to tap into the more intangible side of, you know, how you view money. So, um, but like, as you said, like having, being able to understand what you feel about money is, a, has a direct impact on mm-hmm. your financial situation. Um, yes. and, and yeah, we, we weren't taught that we're taught, Oh, you know, go work at a job and just make money and save and go and invest. But, you know, we, um, and actually not even really that education either. We're not really taught that as well. So it's, it is pretty cool work that you get to, you know, help educate, you know, financial literacy, but also on the emotional aspect of it. Um, yeah, because most people look at it one way or the other. You will have a financial expert who's going to talk to you about where or how to invest your money. And right. I do have that background because my background is high finance as well. I mean, <laughs> that's that's who we were. I, I'm a finance economist. That's how I started. Uh, I'm a chartered financial analyst. I'm very comfortable in balance sheets and, uh, you know, all, all that jazz. Yeah. And, and, but I have also a, an emotional intelligence coach. So I have all that background as well. And, uh, I do dig, you know, into my own brain and my own mind and my own beliefs and memory so I can assist others. I mean, I go every week, 90 minutes. I see my mentor. It's been six years and I hired him for a two year contract. And when people ask me, why are you doing this? You're doing so well. I said, oh, I have issues. (laughs) (laughs) And I have big dreams. And and there's lots I want to accomplish. So it's that financial and the EQ is people don't pay attention to it. You said we're not taught. We are taught everything you've seen your parents do about money. Sure. Everything. whether you heard in school, money is hard to make. Money, like if you say, go get a job to make money, that's a belief. Can you sit on your bum and make money while not having a job? That's a mind fuck. That's why people go, huh? No, I need, oh, need to work hard for the money. And those people who have that belief, they're broke. They're financially broke. They ha- or they have two, three jobs, or they're deeply struggling. And all of that is because that's the pool, the memories and the beliefs that they know. We're either validating positive change or we're validating crap. And the crap is what we were taught. And we would say, why would anyone do that? It's because we want to belong. We want to belong with our family. We want to belong with what we were taught. Otherwise we might be too different and might be rejected by the people around us. I know that I grew up super poor. I grew up ghetto poor. And when I made it by the age of, I was the age of 20, I was 25. Yeah. 25. I was the youngest assistant vice president, client servicing in sales for one of the largest um, industry, like it was investment management, $22 billion under asset. I was 26. I was like six figure salaries. I had it made. My parents, they hated me for it. They called me a bourgeoise. 
They called me a know-it-all. They called me, I was a snob. It did not matter what I did. I had become a pariah because I had money and I was a pariah because I had no money. I was screwed either way. Wow, yeah. But you say, wow. But a lot of us, until we become conscious of what runs the show, which pool of beliefs and memories that we've been taught. That's why anyone who says to me, I don't have to look at my past. I can bypass all that shit. No, that's what runs the show. You got to know what's in your pool before we can choose different. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I can, I say, wow, because I think it's not uncommon for many people to be in that position of like, you know, where, what do I even do if, if I, you know, don't, if I'm not comfortable without money, but then can't be comfortable with money. It's, it's need help. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Yep. Because no one does this work alone. A blind spot is called blind for a reason. I always, when people, you know, uh, when people say to me, Oh, I'll figure it out on my own. And I go, good luck with that. And they go, why? Why are you saying that? That's mean. I'm like, no, it's realistic. You're smart. They go, yeah. If you're this smart and you haven't figured it out yet, it's because you need help. No one sees their blind spots alone. Yeah. That's why I go see my mentor. I know I have blind spots. And I know I cannot see them by myself. I need somebody to shine that light. But that somebody is somebody who has experience those blind spots and has overcome them. That's how they know what the exits are. They can navigate that pathway. Otherwise, we're stuck in la-la land, like you say, in between. Mm-hmm. We want it, like my, my client before. I want it, but I now know I'm not welcoming it. So how do I change that? That's with the self-awareness, which is one of the bases of emotional intelligence to become right. self-aware of what runs the show. Uh, this is this is awesome. I want to keep going and <laughs> talk about so many things, but uh, trying to be mindful of our time here. Uh, and um, so, within that, uh, what I what I like to do and end our my segments with is sort of a quick fire rapid fire like uh experience with the five core emotions um Mm -hmm. which is anger fear disgust sadness and joy um and so maybe just quickly if you want to just share either your experience with each of these emotions or a story around it or or how you deal with it or, or manage it um Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so we'll start with anger. Anger. Uh, I was taught a huge lie about anger that anger is bad. Anger is good. There are two types of anger healthy anger and unhealthy anger. It is scientifically proven that when we get angry, we, it's because we're hurt. So we release a chemical in our brain that says that we're hurt. That chemical lasts. On average, 90 seconds, scientifically proven. After 90 seconds, we choose to remain angry by reliving that incident over and over again in our head. We're not angry anymore. We just think we are. 
So angry from anger for me has become a great sign on the road that if I feel anger, the question I ask myself is, what am I hurting about? What do I need right now? Mm-hmm. So it's positive. And I, I do my best never to let it escalate again to unhealthy anger. I work on it. Yeah, I think that's an important insight there is that it's, you know, we we are the ones to continue that anger, to like to yeah. think that we're angry after feeling it. Um so to sounds like to to kind of you know cut off that stream is to just slow down and and rather than think, go back into feeling. What are we hurting about? Because right. anger, it's a secondary emotion. It's we're angry because something happened. So if we go straight to the feeling and resolve the feeling, not by being wanting to be right, but by giving ourselves what we need. And in my, and most of the time we get angry because we want to feel acknowledged. We want to feel seen. We want to feel heard. So the best thing that we can do in that moment is to hug ourselves mm-hmm. and to say, I get it. Okay. I'm hurting. And by acknowledging that feeling, the anger drops. Right. Acknowledging that get, like underlying need yes, that is not being addressed. Of yeah. what it's truly about. Yeah. And anger is never about what's going on in front of us. No. Anger stems from the past. We get angry because it reminds us of something. That pool, mm-hmm. that pool of beliefs and memories. Yeah. So. Love it. Um, how about fear? Fear is... You know, that false evidence appearing real. I used to think that fear was so real because I was terrified as a child. I would say, of course, I'm afraid. Of course, this is uncle because I kept referencing bad stuff to justify that fear. Now, when I feel, when I feel fear, I ask myself, what other feeling is possible? What else can I feel right now? And it short circuits the mind. And I go, I can feel grateful while being scared. Hold on a second. Huh. And it drops the fear. Mm -hmm. Because fear is just our mind fooling us into thinking something bad's going to happen. That something may or may not happen. Most of the time it doesn't. And even if it did, up to that split second, before that fear, it still hasn't happened. But we take our fear and we drag it all the way. And it's, it's useless and it's pointless because it, it drains us of the energy that we could put into ourselves and becoming more self-aware and say, what else can I feel right now? So fear to me, it's, uh, it's not a feeling that comes along. Mm-hmm. Feeling, it's like water to a tap. It comes with other feeling and we get to choose. No, I, I, I like that as a way to to sort of regulate the fear uh, yeah. or, or deal with it is, is acknowledging the other feelings that come with it um, and seeing it as a part of yeah. a, a sort of bigger emotion there. So yeah. Redirecting, okay. yeah, redirecting yeah, yeah. towards a positive feeling. 
knowing that we're afraid, acknowledging it, and yet choosing to feel something else. It, it makes me balance. think of, yeah, it makes me think of our fear of the future, or in other words, anxiety is also part excitement, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's an example there is yeah. there's a different emotion attached to every emotion. So um, cool. And uh, disgust. Disgust. That's a funny one. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> disgust. What does disgust mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, disgust is a weird one. And I was surprised that that was a, for, a core emotion too. But um, I guess another way to describe it is shame. Or it uh, could be related okay. to shame um, okay. in some ways. Okay, but, disgust. Yeah. Contempt. Contempt. Mm. Contempt is... is it's when an ego <laughs> people are not gonna like it it's when the ego masturbates itself uh, to be right because contempt is when, when i felt contempt in the past is my mind was telling me that i was quote unquote better or quote unquote worse than them but contempt when we're not in the home in the house in that moment we're not feeling we're not head so contempt for me is it's a sign saying like really stop because contempt is when we feel contempt towards something is we're afraid to feel what that something represents for us hmm. so if i were to feel contempt about something now i now stop i know it's about me i know i'm the common denominator i'm not feeling contempt towards other people i'm feeling contempt towards me and that's a no yeah then therefore i stop and say okay what is it I'm afraid to feel right now? And I go into, I dig deeper into that, that truth. That's, that's interesting. Like, I think contempt is, maybe I'm not exactly finding that correlation with disgust or where, where was, where were you drawing that, that bridge there? For me, contempt to disgust is when we are repulsed by mm-hmm. something. Right, it's contempt of disgust for me is repulsion. Is that ugh, yuck? Right. No, so it's like my hand went like this, it went <laughs> up, it was like no, complete block. But in contempt, we're looking at another person saying no, uh-uh, no, is that so? It's the very to me, they're similar, okay, because it is that blocking another person or something, yeah, and with the why, for what reason, what's the intent. I'm right, therefore you're wrong. Mm. That's contempt, disgust, all of that all have that in common. Why are we disgusted? Because we think we have a better answer. Mm-hmm. Why, are, do we have, why do we show contempt? Because we think we're better or worse or whatever it is. So that's why I associated them together. Yeah, well, that, and that makes me think of where, I, it's such an interesting emotion to me because yeah, you're, it's when we do feel disgust, maybe there is an underlying, uh, sort of assumption that like, as you said, we are better or right, you know, um, and to have that awareness really helps just introspect on, on, on the deeper values that you have, you know, whether or not that's true or yeah. valid. Um, I guess I'm trying to think of an example, you know, maybe I, I get disgusted, you know, when others are mistreating others, right? But you get disgusted when you mistreat yourself. 
That that too. Yeah, definitely. So that <laughs> see, but it comes down to that because right. everything we live. I used to think we live in a mirror. Then I evolved into we live in the mirror. Yeah. And then I evolved into I live in my mirror. Hmm. So whatever I project, it's all perception. Whatever I project onto others, good, bad, or ugly, it's a reflection on me. Yeah. Nothing to do with others. Yeah. So if I were to feel disgust, I would say, what am I finding disgusting about me right now? <laughs> and I would go to my inner child, sweetie, what do you need right now? And I would, I would do my best to resolve it. But that, at that moment, I don't even look at other people anymore. I know it's yeah. about me. It's between me and me. That's so interesting. Wow. Okay. And then um, lastly, or no, two more, uh, sadness. Sadness is, I used to confuse sadness and depression a lot. So when people in the past ask me, are you depressed? No. Are you mm -hmm. sad? Yeah. But sadness is an emotion that is felt in the moment. It's a bubble that rises and went pluck. And it's gone. It's like, and I, the way I explain it to, to my clients, it's um, you take a small child who's three or four and they have, let's say they have this balloon and the balloon, they're so happy and the balloon pops and they go, Wah! and like it's full blown. They're crying. They're feeling it. And they're this. It might last a whole minute, two minutes. And after that, you know, the snot and everything, they look at you and they say, want to go play? Yeah. that's sadness they you, we feel it that way and we let it go depression we never let it go we're not letting it go we hang on to it we replay it in our head over and over and over again so depression is sadness that goes on process because we refuse to feel that sadness so we pile sadness onto sadness Mm. which becomes depression. I appreciate that distinction because, yeah, if we were to associate, you know, uh, depression with sadness, it can make us feel like we don't want to feel, even just feel the sadness to for it to, yeah, like we just don't want to feel sadness if it can be mistaken as depression, right? But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we but, must feel that sadness right. to get out of depression. Remember when I said I, I went in that dark hole and I stayed there for like, I cried. Oh, I cried like a, like a Magdalene. I don't know what to say. I cried. <laughs> I cried for nine months solid. Mm. I cried. I would wake up and I would, my, my, it just full of tears. Even in my sleep, I would be crying. Mm -hmm. And I lost like 25 pounds. And then just this sorrow, like a deep, deep sorrow. Because a sorrow, it's a sadness that's on process. It's mm -hmm. a deep sadness deep in the core within. And I had to process all these layers of sadness to get to the core, to retrieve that child that who had all that stuff happen to her in the past, but I couldn't read. Now when I share that story... If, I, if I'm on stage and I want to share that story, I feel it. Yeah. I feel for that, but I never let it drag me down. I'll feel it. It's like a, a chip in the dip, you know, you chip in the dip. I dip it, come back out with <laughs> compassion. Yeah. 
because I understand that whoever did that, you can imagine what their childhood was like. That's the empathy and the compassion. I love it. Um, and lastly, but not least, uh, joy. Oh, I used to hate joy <laughs> <laughs> because joy eluded me. Mm. When we live in our head, yep. we don't know joy because joy requires a fully emotionally present and in the moment. It requires us to complete let go. It's that laughter, that belly laugh. That's joy. It's in, and, and, if we're in our head, we can't, it's not a way. Joy requires a hundred percent letting go in giving ourselves that permission to feel fully in that moment, not knowing what that moment entails. Your biggest moments of joy, you never saw them coming. They came and you went and you felt it but you remember them forever. And we all want joy. We all want to replicate those moments over and over again. But it comes back to feeling. We must allow ourselves to feel all our feelings and emotions. Feelings are like water to a tap. The tap is either on or off. We cannot pick and choose our feelings. We must welcome them all without judgment. They're all here for the same reason. There are signs on the road. It's like when we drive a car, would you say, oh, I'm going to look at the 90 kilometers per hour, but I'm going to ignore the exit I'm supposed to take. We pay attention to all the signs on the road. It's the same with feelings. There are signs on the road and they're here for our well-being. Nobody else's ours. So why would we ignore them? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, the the thinking mind can definitely get in the way of feeling joy or experiencing joy. Um, and I, I resonate that I resonate with that. You know, thinking that um, that you know, in order to have fun, you have to uh, you know work and and work hard to deserve it. But um, sometimes we'll forget to. Um, to play Do you think, and you to, think working hard yeah. you can have fun if you work hard <laughs> right. and and that's the and that's the the mentality that we were taught yeah. work hard play hard right but you can only play hard if you work hard but you look at a child they're having a lot of fun and are they working hard no see yeah. these are all beliefs and memories i find it that's so fascinating I love the mind. I love it. Totally. Well, I guess with that though, it's, it's like you're as an adult, you do have responsibilities. <laughs> so as a child, you can definitely have more time to play, uh, without having to, to work too hard. Um, but yeah, but so as an adult, it's, that's where I'm, I'm exploring is like, yeah, you, you have to still be able to balance, uh, and not forget that inner child of how to have fun even while being yes. responsible. And See, for, uh, yeah. for me, I bring my inner child with me. I did the adult thing, the responsible thing. The, and it was a miserable life. It was a miserable. I can still do the same things with fun. 
I can have fun while coaching. I can have yeah. fun on this podcast. Yeah. I can have fun while writing. I can have, I can work 10 hours a day. And at nine o'clock at night, I look like at 8 a.m. I'm like, I'm smiling. And in the past, I would have gone grunting and everything. We can choose how we feel. I want to associate fun with what I do. Because nobody is going to thank me if I associate misery to it. Mm-hmm. And no one will thank me if I associate fun with it either. But I live with me 24 hours a day. Every minute, every second I spend with me. I might as well make it fun. So that I can turn what I, what I call work into passion. Mm-hmm. Passion is fun, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely hear a lot of the the fashion in there. So I mean, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, all right. Thank you for spending that time with me here and and just geeking out about all this stuff. Uh, I I just love you know tapping into these emotions and and our story and whatnot. Um, how can people find you? Where where like. Yeah, maybe quickly anything that you're working on or or um, I'll just let you have the floor here. <laughs> My website is walkinginside.com. So it's one word. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, it's A-N-N-E-B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U. It means uh, peace, beautiful place in, in English. All right. It's uh, so people can join me there. I have a coaching program coming up, a couple of books. Um, I do speaking engagements as well. Like I just, like as I was telling you, I just came back from Kawasaki National Sales and Marketing Conference. I was their emotional intelligence speaker for their event. Um, so you can find me pretty much Googling. Walking inside, you'll find a lot of my resources there. All my books are listed in products and services, and people can reach out to me, email or text or stuff like that. It's all the information is there. All right. I'll I'll link that in the show notes. And um thanks again for for uh having this conversation and for sharing your insights. I really appreciate it and i definitely hear a lot of that passion in there so it's cool to to absorb that for, for <laughs> thank you very much. thank yeah. you thank you very much for inviting me victor yeah. it's been a pleasure thank you so much for listening to this episode with ambu liu the financial emotional intelligence coach i hope you enjoyed our conversation and took away some insights for yourself If you're interested to contact her, either for your next speaking event or to work with her individually or to bring her on as uh, a business coach for your business, definitely reach out to her at walkinginside.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast and buy me a cup of coffee, uh, you can visit anchor.fm slash victorong slash support to provide a monthly donation that you could cancel anytime Um, that would be so helpful in in helping me pay for all the different services required to keep this thing going 
If you aren't able to support monetarily, you can still support by sharing this episode with someone who would benefit from、uh, this content, from learning about emotional intelligence and how to develop a better relationship with money. And make sure to subscribe or follow on whatever streaming platform you're listening to right now、uh, to get updates on the next episode, which is going to be with my guest, Matthew Nadu, who I met on Instagram,、uh, who is a social media manager for Everyman, which is a,、uh, a men's group and retreat that helps men better connect to themselves and their emotions. We had a awesome, deep, heartfelt conversation in that episode. So make sure again to subscribe so that you get notified when that 